Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at T-Mobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great tasting, all natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Let's go places. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks, presented by Caesars Entertainment, an official host of the 2020 NFL Draft. DJ Buck here with you. Buck, what's going on, man? Not too much, man. You know we, how it goes now. Uh, we've done the combine. We, we looked at all the data. We're kind of getting to that that part of the off-season calendar where now we're about to get ready for pro days and so you're trying to put all the finishing touches on like some of the guys that you know about but you hadn't done the deep dive studying uh you're trying to get your clusters right and so it's interesting because we'll talk about it later but this offensive tackle class um has suddenly become a very very deep one with as many as six or seven first round guys so what does it look like after that first tier that'd be interesting yeah, there are a bunch of a bunch of really really interesting players at that position, and uh, you mentioned kind of separating those clusters. I, I started off 
after the combine, my first exercise was going back in and doing a deep dive on Jordan Love and Justin Herbert and trying to sort that out. I actually ended up flipping them in my order. So we're going to talk about that uh, during today's show. Uh, Buck, I don't know if you saw it, but I tweeted out yeah. over the weekend and some people lost their minds about the uh, wide receiver thing. Did you see that? I mean, I saw about Alabama. Said, how- you're saying like it's the best group that you've seen collectively and – I mean, it is one of the best ones that we've seen. Well, I mean, the question, Buck, I, 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 and we'll get into this, but what I tweet out, how many NFL teams would trade their wide receiving core for Alabama or LSU's wide receiving core? And I said, I would say at least 20. Yeah. And people lost their minds. Now, I'm talking, about, I'm talking about underclassmen. I'm talking about draft-eligible guys. I'm talking about their entire receiving group for your entire receiving group. And then I, I was kind of surprised how people would give me pushback. I'm like, have you watched Alabama play? They have four first-round <laughs> players, including including one who runs in the four twos, two who are going to run in the four threes, and another one is Jerry Judy who ran, in, you know, I mean, wherever he ran, low, right. low four fours. Yeah, so Come I mean, it, I mean, it's, it's it's a great group, and even if you throw the LSU group in there, um, I think the thing that they have that Jamar know, Chase might be the best of the whole bunch. The, yeah, both of these teams have what we've always talked about. They have a basketball team on their their within their wide receiver court, meaning they have guys that can juggle different responsibilities. They can uh, get buckets in a variety of different ways. And so there's a balance to their wide receiver court that you don't see in a lot of teams, be it other college teams or NFL teams, where you have a pecking order with a number one, uh, a number two guy that can be a possession guy, number two three guy that can be your vertical guy and a guy that can do everything where both of those teams have all of these guys that are perfectly positioned to really shine in their respective roles. Everybody can't say that. Yeah, well, we're going to get a little bit deeper into that a little bit later on in the episode. Uh, I've got a new top 50 out, three new names on there. I'll give you those names and why they made the 50. You've got a mock draft that's on the way, Buck, which I don't want to spoil the whole mock draft, but I do want to have the conversation because you, you pose an interesting question uh, in this mock draft, and it's a scenario. If the Miami Dolphins don't take Tua, then what happens? So we'll explore that uh, a little bit later on in the show. Uh, all right, Buck, before we jump in here, anything you want to you get off your chest here? You Anything to kind of clear your mind? (laughs) No, it's it's good. You and I had a conversation. I put the tweet out uh, based on our conversation. Um, When we're looking at draft picks, as we're getting closer, um, would you rather have someone who has a higher floor? Are you willing to roll the dice on the person who has the higher ceiling? And I think in a lot of these cluster conversations that we have, you have to kind of figure out where you are with that question. Would I rather um, hit it down the fairway? but it may only be 215 yards, or do I want to bomb it on occasion, pull out the driver, and hit a 300-yard or 330-yard drive? It may spray every now and then, but if I catch it right, it's going to put me at a significant advantage over my opponents. I, I, I just think every round is different, but in the first round, when we talk about it, man, we got to get the first round right. And sometimes you, you tend to be a little more conservative in the first round than you do in the later rounds because we know that this league is really a first-round league. The league is comprised mostly of first-rounders playing at a high level. Then you kind of fill in the gaps around that. you got to get it right in the first round. I, I could not be any happier with the way you just framed this because this leads me beautifully into what this uh, discussion and debate I had with love and Herbert, and going back through and, and finding my notes here, Buck, I went back and watched, gosh, I think I've, I've watched nine total games now, nine or ten games on Justin Herbert. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, went back through, did the same for Jordan Love. And I have had love over Herbert. And now let me give you the reason why I had love over Herbert, and then I'm going to give you the reason why I ended up flipping him. Um, because when I watched Jordan Love, especially the first time through, and especially you go back and watch 2018, there's a there's a natural fluidity to the way that he plays. It's very it's very very smooth. He's explosive. Uh, everything is mo- is urgent with the way he moves and the way he throws. I love the way he throws the football. If you're just talking about being on air and throwing the ball, I love it. And when I went back and watched more of him, uh, I saw some of the same things. I, mean, I saw a lot of those same things. He still has all that. I saw drop balls down the field on beautiful throws. I can text you some of those uh, videos I took there, Buck. So there, there's still a lot to like about him. However, when you really, really study, not only are the interceptions what they are this year, it's 20 touchdowns, 17 picks. There's a lot of other balls he threw that were, you know, I guess for the phrase would be turnover-worthy throws um, where just decision-making was, was troubling. And it wasn't always, you know, under pressure, guys aren't getting open and he's trying to make a play. Um, I can kind of explain that away sometimes. But this was more being reckless, um, not not identifying coverage, trying to really force balls in. Some of them were picks, some of them were drop picks, but it just kept happening over and over and over again. And I just, it got to the point, Buck, where I'm like, I know that you can look at the Matt Ryans of the world, guys who turned the ball over a lot in college and have, have cleaned it up at the NFL level. But I think there's a lot more examples of guys who have issues with turnovers in college that follow them uh, to the NFL. And so that troubled me a little bit with Jordan Love. Then I went back and watched Justin Herbert. And I I do not like the fit with him in that Oregon offense. It's so many bubble screens and tunnel screens, not as much off of play action. I think he's a play action quarterback. When he can go off play action, get your back foot in the ground and really deliver the ball, he's he's pretty accurate uh, Mm -hmm. around the field at all three levels. To me, just having him sit back there and run gadget gimmicky plays, bubble screens, it's pump and goes. You know, they're just not asking him to do a lot. But in terms of protecting the football, I I thought he did a nice job there. I I do know he's athletic and can get out and make plays uh, with his legs. You saw that more towards the end of the season, but he does have that uh, ability. On the negative side, he takes sacks I wish he wouldn't take. I wish he was more urgent and, and had more aggressiveness the way Jordan Love does. But it's, a, it's like you said, Buck, it's a floor-ceiling debate. And if I'm putting myself in the shoes of some of these teams and you're picking in the first round, as much as I love what Jordan Love can become, um, there is the fear of what he could become as well in terms of the, the floor and the ceiling. There is a big distance there. Whereas with Justin Herbert, I think there's a smaller gap. I think high floor, maybe a little bit lower ceiling. It's a conservative play, but I just left feeling more comfortable if I'm going to make that selection uh, with having Justin Herbert over Jordan Love. So it's funny that you kind of derived at this conclusion at, at this point in time. Um, part of the reason for... I mean, the majority of the time where I've had to stack these guys and compare and contrast these guys, part of the reason I've kind of leaned towards Justin Herbert is for the reasons that you talk about. I think there's a comfort in knowing exactly what you're getting. And as much as we would like to roll the dice and gamble, because we've recently seen a team, the Kansas City Chiefs, roll the dice in a way on Pat Mahomes and it's really come up big for them. However, I think the difference between Pat Mahomes and Jordan Love, um, there are a couple differences. When you look at Pat Mahomes, as wild and as frenetic as that Texas Tech offense was, 
he still didn't turn the ball over a lot. Uh, we can talk about it being Sandlot and the way that he played or whatever. There wasn't necessarily a, a consistent rhythm to that offense. There were a lot of broken plays. Pat Mahomes didn't turn the ball over to the level that Jordan Love has. Secondly, when it comes to that comparison, because I feel like a lot of people are kind of banking on, well, Pat Mahomes did this, Jordan Love is going to do that. I think um, it wasn't until we sat in here and we got beside Pat Mahomes that we began to have a great appreciation for the cerebral nature of his game, his recall, his ability to identify old plays and why he made decisions at that time in the moment of the game. His ability to take and process information has certainly helped him when he goes with a coach like Andy Reid, who's a nurturer, who for the first season, when you talk to people in that building, Andy Reid said, I want you to let it fly. Just throw every throw that you think you can make and don't worry about it. There are no repercussions to the turnovers that you may have. And then slowly but surely that next off off season, they slowly scaled it back and kind of talked to him about decision-making and a when it's a green light, when it's a yellow light, and when it's a red light. When you can kind of make those risks and when it's probably best to take the check down or go elsewhere with the ball. Pat Mahomes was able to do that. With Jordan Love, I do wonder, because when you look at the questionable decisions, is he ever going to get to that point where he can dial it back and not play hero ball? When you and I have talked to him, he said, oh, I tried to do too much. I tried to put all of this on my shoulders. Uh, I knew we didn't have this and coaching staff, and I was trying to make it happen. I was trying to make it pop. I just wonder, can he rein it in? And so because I don't know if he can rein it in, and I have seen Justin Herbert just kind of, hey, play safe, conservative ball. I know exactly what I'm getting. Um, Look, I may want more, but at least I know this is how he's going to play. It is easier to build a game plan for a player that is consistently at a B, B-plus level than a guy that's at an A level one night and a D level the next night. Those guys are harder to kind of manage and win and build around. Yeah, and I look at, you know, a lot of it with Jordan Love, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come down to where he goes. I mean, if he goes someplace, as you're kind of getting to, Buck, that understands how to be patient to develop him, I, I still think, and I've I haven't changed, even though I've flipped them in my order. I still believe he has more potential than Justin Herbert. If he lands in the right spot, they take their time, they develop him properly. And when I look at teams that make sense, I mean, I, I look at the at the Indianapolis Colts, Man, that the was offensive the first, line they have with that was a the quarterback, friend, first friendly team on head my coach. List. Yep. I mean, that's it. I mean, that, that to me, if you could script it, that's a perfect spot for him. Um, and I think he'd have a chance to be successful. If I was going to say the second place that I would pick for him would probably be the Raiders um, because you've got a good offensive line in place. They need to add some weapons. But a good offensive line, run game, and I think John Gruden, you know, be able to work with him, uh, you could have a payoff there down the line. So those are the two teams to me that make the most sense uh, for a guy like Jordan Love. I'm going to throw one more team in there. And um – I don't know if it'll necessarily be best for him in terms of like learning how to play winning ball, but I do believe Tampa Bay would be a great fit for him in terms of Bruce Arians' philosophy of no risk it, no biscuit, and the vertical passing game. I think it actually works well with love, and if you give him those weapons on the outside, the big body playmakers, the guys that can kind of expand the strike zone, I think those guys would, would help him play at a higher level, but... In Tampa, we have seen 
the turnover issues and, and, and those things, it would still be a situation of can he manage it, can he bring it back, can he dial it back so he can play winning ball. What, what teams do you think are ideal fits for Justin Herbert? Well, when I look at Justin Herbert, I mean, I, to me, I think you can look at a team like the Miami Dolphins. I know, obviously, they have a lot of work that needs to be done there, but I think he could be kind of a, a steady, stabilizing force there. I wouldn't I wouldn't even rush him on the field. If you got Fitzpatrick, if you get him in the mix uh, as the quarterback, let him learn under one of the smarter quarterbacks in the league. I think that'll benefit him. Um, I think getting a chance to grow with that, with a young team, kind of grow with them, I think that makes some sense there for Herbert. Uh, when I go down through the rest of this group, looking at teams I mean I, for a lot of the reasons that you said Jordan love for Tampa I would say it would be good for Herbert because I feel like it would pull some of that out of him you know make him be more aggressive find that aggressive gene and pull and I think Bruce Arians could pull that out where with Jordan love the the reason with Tampa that I would you know maybe I wouldn't love it as much is because you're coming off of of Winston who's a little bit reckless mm-hmm. and then the turnovers piled up obviously 30 picks do they want they want to maybe dial that in a little bit maybe Herbert would make more sense for them uh, than a guy like Jordan Love but uh, you know those are probably the ones that that jump out to me yeah the final one that I would throw in there because um, I don't know if this if he would ever get this far but let's just say the Green Bay Packers. Right. The Green Bay Packers mm-hmm. at the bottom of the first round or say they move up. The reason Justin Herbert to me would work is because when you really look at the this system, this system is the same system that has really benefited um, Jerry Goff with the Rams. It has helped uh, Matt Ryan uh, in Atlanta. They have some of that zone stretch bootleg play action stuff um, where they really set up and take shots. I think this offense will look a little different after Aaron Rodgers departs in terms of how Matt LaFleur really wants to run it. I think that could be a great situation for him um, in terms of scheme, uh, redshirt year possibilities, and then a coach that kind of understands how to kind of blend that kind of talent and utilize it in a way that kind of works for the player and also for the team. I want to ask you this question, Buck, because I want to go back to last year's group, um, last year's quarterback group. And this kind of this is one also another reason why I came up a little bit on Herbert. Um, You go back through last year. Who do you have a higher grade on Daniel Jones or Justin Herbert? I would put Justin Herbert over Daniel Jones. So I, I did too. So I had Herbert a little bit over Daniel Jones. And obviously Daniel Jones uh, played pretty well uh, last year. I know he had the fumbles, but in terms of throwing the football, uh, making some plays. And so when I watched that, I'm like, okay, I've seen Daniel Jones be successful. Um, I think Justin Herbert's a little more talented than him. So um, that's why I kind of came up a little bit. Now I have, I have him. I talk about him going over love on my top 50 list, Buck. Um, I have... Jordan Love, or sorry, Jordan Love is 23rd, and I have Justin Herbert 20th. So to me, and I don't know where you are on this, but I still view it as the top two guys, and I think we have them in different order, but Burrow, Burrow, Tua, Tua, Burrow, however you have that. And then to me, there's still a very large gap between those two and the other two. That's a large gap, and it actually will bring you to the scenario that I discussed or I played out in my mock draft. Okay, so for... I mean, ever, we've assumed that the Miami Dolphins want to attack Valoa, and he, he is going to be the guy that they take at five if he's available. But how about this, DJ? How about the love that we on the outside have for Tua? Maybe it's not matched 
necessarily in the building. And I'm saying that based on two things. One, Tua talked about he couldn't get a real read for Miami when he was there. There are reports that are out there about that. Two, if you're the Miami Dolphins and you're picking five, uh, one of the things that we've talked about that when you're in that, 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 that spot in the top five, you can't just have a swing and a miss. And I'm not saying that um, mm-hmm. Tua's medical situation is so dire that we don't know, but we really don't know. So when you're five and you don't know if Tua is going to be the Tua that you've seen on tape, can you pull the trigger? So how about the Miami Dolphins mm-hmm. bypass that because they have three picks in the first round? And let's just say that at five they take an offensive tackle. Let's just give them Tristan worse. All right? So now you're sitting at 18 and 26. You have two picks. And you have Justin Herbert graded at 20. Well, what if I'm the Miami Dolphins and on that second pick I can get him at 18 or maybe 15? Would I be okay with getting a Tristan Wirfs and a Justin Herbert versus rolling the dice on Tua and Tua may or may not be what I want him to be? I don't know. I think it's a scenario that the Miami Dolphins have to seriously consider because when you're picking that high, what you can't have is you can't have a strikeout. Well, I'll tell you this, though, Buck. The fact that you are almost choking to death while bringing like up that? this scenario you like that? Uh, leads, me, leads me to believe that, that it makes you a little bit nervous of passing on Tua. So you get your tea. You, you bang out some tea right now and tell me if you feel comfortable about that right now. I mean, I don't know. So I, I was going through it, and I was like, man, is this crazy? Would this work? But you do wonder, I mean, do they really feel like that about Tua? Do they feel like, hey, we have to go all in, medical, history, I've heard that. Um, you know, we'll do it. And then if you also go back, because I still believe Bill Parcells' tentacles are around that building based on Chris Greer's experience. Well, the one thing that Bill Parcells talks about with quarterbacks, he wants experienced guys, guys that have been significant starters, guys that have won at a high level, guys that are college graduates who have a high IQ. Well, of all the quarterbacks that are in the draft, that kind of check off the boxes – Justin Herbert fits that profile. Four-year starter, academic All-American, won a ton of games at Oregon. There's just something that leads me to believe that they may have more love for Justin Herbert than we on the outside can envision. And maybe it's easier for them to say, hey, man, let's take a blue-chip tackle early, and then let's figure out how to get back in the mix to get the quarterback. And if we don't get the quarterback this year, there are a couple quarterbacks next year that we can get because they have Ryan Fitzpatrick already in the building. So I, I don't think I, I don't disagree with you that I could see them bypassing Tua. Where I would push back is I think that they would just take Herbert at five. Just take really him at five, do. and and a couple reasons. You, I think they would just take him, and I you know I we've heard we talked to a lot of the same people. You hear that they really do like Justin Herbert. Um, so if that's the case, if they end Go up get taking your guy. Herbert at five, why why would they? Do, yeah, well, you could get your guy right now. You come back, and there's tackle depth. If you want to get a yep. tackle, you're still going to probably get a good one. Uh, maybe you get Austin Jackson, whoever else. It, you know, Josh Jones will be there. So one of those two guys will be there at that point in time. I would just say, if you like a quarterback, don't risk it. Just take him right there. And to me, it's interesting. We talk about the Dolphins. You talk about the Parcells' influence. Go back in time. Remember Jake Long? Jake I know Long, they were Matt in a different Ryan. situation quarterback-wise. Yeah. Jake Long, Matt Ryan. Don't, don't, don't do that again. If you believe, if you love the guy, go ahead and take the, uh, take the quarterback. I know they were in a different place uh, right then at the quarterback position. I don't want Dolphin fans to get at me. But in hindsight, if, you, if there's a big-time quarterback, you take the big-time quarterback. So it's funny because um, the situation that I laid out is basically the situation that we did for the Giants the entire year 
in the run-up to the draft. We had them take take a blue-chip player early, mm-hmm. come back and get Daniel Jones. But lo and behold, on draft day, oh, my God, six-pick Daniel Jones goes because they wanted the yep. player. So maybe it's a situation, as you alluded to, hey, take Dustin Herbert, eat whatever you have to eat, the criticism, because everyone's like, I can't believe you took him at five. But if that's your guy, you come back and get the other stuff, it doesn't matter if he plays to the level that you expect him to play at. And I don't – I mean, I would imagine, Buck, in, under that scenario, let's say that Tua – doesn't go five that the Dolphins pass. I cannot see the Chargers passing on him at six. Well, I mean, maybe with I they just need the position maybe, and with maybe, his talent. Yeah, maybe, I just can't see it. I know. Maybe that's what I really wanted because I was like, man, that'd be a great thing. Because imagine Tua playing on the West Coast. Keep him in L.A. Yeah, keep him in L.A. Keep him on the West Coast. Uh, keep him around. Uh, in a situation where he, it's a natural redshirt because Tyrod Taylor can start and play the whole year if they wanted him to play mm-hmm. and wait for Tua to slowly develop. Also, you talk about needing to put butts in seats in L.A., well, that's going to do it. When you think about the community and all of the other stuff, like Tua will be celebrated over here because the proximity to Hawaii. So I just think there are a lot of things that make sense about that situation. If Tua is available at six and they, they take him, yeah, I absolutely believe it's a scenario that could, could play out. Can I, I want to pose this question. This is not a, this is not what we're going to talk about, but I've just been thinking about this. I can't get it off my mind. So <clears throat> is there a player in this year's draft that keeps you up at night? And what I say about that is mm. whether you feel like maybe you're too high or too low, is there one? Because I have one. I have one that there's – and I'm, I promise you by the time I get to my final update, he's going to end up being in my top 50 because every time I put one of these lists out and I look at it and I look, okay, who – who, I ask myself, who am I going to regret three years from now? Who am I going to regret not having in my top 50? Mm. And I keep, every time I do this, Buck, the same name just haunts me. And I look at it over and over and over again. Who is I, it? Can you guess who it is? No, who is it? It's Jalen Hurts. It's Jalen Hurts. Mm. Because I can see Jalen Hurts going at the top of the second round, or maybe even, you know, who knows? Maybe somebody would shock us and trade into the back end of one. But I just think if somebody wants to build that offense around him with his playmaking ability, and I know he's not perfect. I know he's got room to grow there in terms of throwing with anticipation. But this guy can make plays with his legs. He's tough. He's won a bunch. Um, You even look at the numbers that he's put up, completing a high percentage of passes. There's, There's so many boxes that that kid checks and especially from a competitive standpoint, Buck, I just feel there's like that there's that little there's that little knot in my stomach going don't don't sleep on this kid, and I feel like I am, and that's the one regret that I have every night when I go to bed. I sit there and go, man, I I gosh, I hope I I, I hope I'm not wrong on Jalen Hurts because that kid, I just get a feeling that somehow this kid ends up in the right spot. He can't do it for all 32 and in all every situation, but if he ends up in the right spot and they commit to building that offense around his skill set. I think you got some. It's funny that you bring him up. And um, I, I, I've been a big proponent that he reminds me so much of Dak Prescott that it's crazy. I won't say that their games are exactly the same, but I think what Dak Prescott has done is he is giving teams a blueprint for how to play with the Jalen Hurts. So a team that has a power-based running game, an offensive line that is intact, uh, a team that just needs what I would call the other stuff the leadership, the stability, the consistency, knowing that he's going to show up each and every week and bring the toughness and all of that. Well, Jalen Hurts provides that. The fact that he's done it for two programs, Alabama and Oklahoma, respectively, I'm encouraged by that. The fact that he did it, um, learning a playbook really quickly in Oklahoma, suggests that he can get up to speed and be ready to play. There's a lot to like about Jalen Hurts. And I think the thing that 
impresses me about how he's handled this process, I feel like at every milestone, he's gotten better. I felt like he was better at the senior bowl than maybe he was during the regular season. I felt like he threw the ball better at the combine than he did at the senior bowl and in the regular season, just in terms of mechanically spinning it and the like. I also felt like because it was my third time interviewing him, I feel like I'm now beginning to get more of the personality that shows up in the locker room out. The last time we had a conversation, I felt like he opened up and kind of really shared, hey, here's how I go about it. I'm a coach's son. I'm really similar in terms of mindset to Nick Saban. I kind of get it, how to earn your way or whatever. I think that plays really, really well in meetings. I think it makes it very easy for a head coach to fall in love with him. And I think the head coach that falls in love with Jalen Hurts is a defensive-minded head coach that understands that Jalen Hurts understands how important ball security is and how important the other stuff in terms of, man, I could sacrifice my individual numbers. All I want to do is win. I think defensive coaches find comfort in those kind of guys as opposed to offensive guys. Yeah, I mean, I hear you on the defensive coach thing. I also think of, um, you know, the Raiders' message last year, right? Oh, yeah. They're going to get tougher. They're going to get physical. And I sit there and I think, man, if they've got Josh Jacobs, you've still got Derek Carthers. You don't have to rush Jalen Hurts onto the field if you don't want to. Um, But you could still play him. That's the nice thing about him is that even if he's not your starter – you can sprinkle him in in a Taysom Hill-type role mm-hmm. um, until he's ready to take over the reins. But I just think of the Raiders and that whole toughness, the brand that they're trying to build there from a toughness standpoint, um, and leadership, all that. I mean, he checks all those boxes. Yeah, I think, he, I think he plays well there. I think another team that I would say, uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers, I feel like he would be a really good fit there. Yeah. Um, the level of toughness and what Pittsburgh is all about. And the, what I would say is, the metamorphosis of what the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to be. Uh, they've been an offensive-driven team the last four or five years with Big Ben and the Killer Bees and all that other stuff with uh, Le'Veon Bell and A.B. I think we saw that shift where the defense had to step up. If you don't get Big Ben back, and we've seen that Mason Rudolph and, look, Doug Hodges, those guys are what they are, but maybe Jalen Hurts can get them to play more of that conservative, old-school smash mouth football that has really played well in Pittsburgh in the past. All right, let's uh, let we can, we talked about this a little bit earlier, so we don't need to spend much time here. Um, but I, I do want to ask you about that Alabama receiving core that we saw mm-hmm. this last year because I, I was sitting there thinking, this I don't think I've seen a better receiving core in college football than this one. I, you can go back and say what Odell and Jarvis that was a, a big time pairing they had at LSU. Um, uh, you know, the offense didn't showcase them quite as much as it should have, to be honest with you. But in terms of having four guys. I can't remember a group that's had this type of depth and this type of talent, Buck. I, I, I kind of going through my brain here, racking my brain, trying to figure out who it would be, and I, I can't come up with anything. No, nah, it's hard. Uh, when you look at this group, uh, Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, Devonta Smith, and Jalen Waddell, uh, you have a combination of uh, things that you, that you want. Uh, and Jerry Judy, I think he's the most natural number one receiver uh, in that crew. Uh, he can run routes. He can do everything. He can be a chain mover. He can make plays. Uh, but he's very, very comfortable settling in as the anchor of the passing game. In Henry Ruggs, you have the speed demon. Uh, every good wide receiver core has somebody who can do the stretch part of the game, the vertical stretch game, uh, the reverses, the things where you need to be able to lift coverage for your teammates. He can do that. And Devonta Smith, 
I think Devonta Smith right now has been pegged as the compliment player opposite those guys. But obviously, we've seen games where he dominates and has his way. I think he's a guy who can make plays um, at every level, whether they're stretching it or kind of doing some of the underneath stuff. And then in Jalen Waddle, just another playmaker. Um, this the diversity among the Alabama wide receiver core is one that makes offensive coordinators in the National Football League envious because. It is easy to show up to work every day when you know that you have playmakers, positions, and certain roles, and you know that they're going to kill it in those roles. That's the luxury that Alabama had. Um, every day they show up, Steve Sarkeesian knows, man, I got these four guys at my disposal. Now it's just a matter of me not messing it up. If I don't mess it up, we're going to win a ton of games, and our quarterback's going to put up big numbers. No doubt. And we had a chance, sir, you had a chance to visit with Jerry Judy at the Combine and ask him about playing on such a talented receiving core here was his uh, his response uh you know there was a lot a lot of great guys out there you know it it's always been competitive out there in practice so i learned a lot from the guys you know um i really learned about making the best of your opportunities because your, your 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 opportunity is so limited with all these great receivers around so once you get an opportunity you just got to make the best of it well buck you could hear it there i mean it's a it's a it's a blessing to be able to have the talent. It's another thing to be pushed, um, and these guys have all been able to push one another at Alabama, and I think it's uh, it bodes well for all four of them. I think we could look back a decade from now and we'll be talking about how special that receiving group was. It is a very special receiving group, and and Jerry Judy alluded to, and I've talked to uh, our former colleague here, Reggie Wayne, uh, who's a close friend. He talked about Miami. And at Miami, when he was there with Andre Johnson and Santana Moss. That, that, that guys, might be the one. That's and, the one. Then. And, 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 and he, and he said, Buck, like you, you couldn't have a sprained ankle. Like you had, to, you had to tape it up and go because if you set out, you ran the risk of never getting your spot back. And that it was so competitive that no one knew who was starting until Saturday when they put the names on the whiteboard. If you can imagine how competitive that is where you just don't know, I don't know who the three starting receivers are going to be. I'm going to wait till Saturday a.m. to announce my starters. <laughs> Every coach would love to have that kind of competitive room where you, hey, you don't have to coach. Hey, I don't have to yell. I don't have to do anything because the guy that's right behind you, that guy can play. And I am not worried about you and your antics and anything else. Compete at a high level. If you don't, we'll just play the next player. Yeah, that's that, I forgot about that Miami group. Yeah, that was an unbelievable receiving core. And I, I would say probably the Clemson group. I think there was, uh, same, was a little bit of, of carryover, right? With yeah, Sammy same, Sammy Mike Watkins, Sammy Watkins DeAndre well. Hopkins. I don't know if Mike Williams was a was a baby when he was there, but they certainly had enough. They had enough guys there. Just the fact that you had Sammy and DeAndre. Adam Humphries oh, was there. Oh, don't forget yeah. Martavis Bryant um, was in that yep. mix there. I mean. DJ, you might have you might open up a pretty good group. Yeah, that's pretty good. Pretty good group. This Alabama that's group good is really you have good to too. Stack those up. Yeah, that's that's a good group. No doubt. Um, all right, I have got three new guys in my top fifty here, Buck. I'll go through them each real real quick here. Uh, Antoine Winfield. The only question I really had on him after watching him on tape, I gave him a great grade, was the play speed or the you know time speed, and he put down a four four five at the combine. Had a phenomenal workout, so he ended up climbing into the top fifty. Somebody that can play in the nickel can play as the high safety. We've talked about it all the time. Guys that are around the ball in college, guess what? They end up being around the ball at the pros. Um, that's why I had Antoine Winfield moving up there. Uh, Denzel Mims from Baylor. Um, talk about acing the postseason. Phenomenal senior bowl. Uh, Big-time combine. Runs in the high four threes. Um, the three-cone, which was a 6-6-6, six, 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 is, is ridiculous. Mm. Um, just a big-time fluid, smooth athlete that showed how explosive he is. 
I've seen the acrobatic catches. I've seen the 50-50 wins down the field. He's not going to do a lot of dirty work in the middle, but you want somebody outside to be a playmaker down the field. Uh, Denzel Mims, to me, is a, is a second-round guy all day long who would not shock me if he snuck into the bottom of one. Uh, and then Jeremy Chin, who's a safety at Southern Illinois, another one we saw at the Senior Bowl, is uh, somebody I project to be a will linebacker. Ended up running 4.45 at his size, buck 220 pounds. Um, he's just he's what you're looking for at the linebacker position right now. He's 221 pounds. He's 6'3". He's got tons of ball production. He's got 13 career picks. I think you just you drop him down in the box, let him range sideline to sideline. You can blitz him, and then he can cover tight ends, and there's a lot of value in that. So those are the three guys I had cracked the top 50. Uh, and then Jeff Gladney is uh, is reemerged in the top 50. He was in there originally. Mm-hmm. Uh, he'd fallen out. He's back in as the 46th guy, the corner from TCU, who's who's got a little Denzel Ward to him, just real quick, feisty, tough player. Man, Really good list. These four guys are all deserving of being, and that makes it in the conversation uh, in the top 50. And I think most teams would have conversations and debates about these guys. And Antoine Wingfield, what I like about him, um, I like the IQ. I like the way he plays. Obviously, we talk about the family business, the bloodlines. His dad was a first-round pick at Ohio State, uh, earned Pro Bowl honors during his career. And I think you see some of that. The size is always going to be an issue, but if I'm going to take a chance on someone who doesn't have ideal size, they got to have plus aspects in other areas. Well, he has that four, four, five, forty, explosive vertical and broad jumps, plus the IQ and the ball skills. I'm going to take a chance on him. Denzel Mims is interesting to me, and I'm gonna kind of pose this to you. There's a conversation on the outside where people are talking about T. Higgins being the outside guy. Mm-hmm. Well, if you don't necessarily like T. Higgins and you don't want to maybe have to plop down and spend that kind of draft capital to get him where we think he's going to go. Well, why not get a Denzel Mims if Denzel Mims is available in the second round? Because when you look at them, he has height, he has speed. We've seen the fluidity in terms of being able to make uh, plays on the outside. Doesn't love it when it's noisy inside the numbers, but neither does T. Higgins. And so I think the conversation then becomes uh, in value, how high do you value T. Higgins? How high do you value Denzel Mims? I think Mims has helped himself, but I do believe that's a conversation because as we talked about stacking the order and putting these guys in positions at wide receiver, I think Higgins and Mims play the same position. Now, which one do you trust more in big games? I think we need to have this. That's a good topic for a future podcast. It's kind of the McDonald's versus McDowell's group. Like you're going to have to pay those premium prices for this version, but you get kind of the same thing for a little bit cheaper. Right. You know, that, that's, we got we to gotta get that going. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's a conversation that, that you have to have because there's so many wide receivers in this, in this group, and we've talked about um, when you're a team that's picking in the first round and everyone says, oh, you need a wide receiver, um, can I get a comparable version of that wide receiver in a later round? Uh, if I can, then I can use my draft capital in the first round on another thing. And then Jeremy Chen, the Southern Illinois safety, you talk about that size and projecting him maybe as a guy that can drop down in the box. There are a lot of people that are beginning to try and find these guys that are um, slashes, I guess is the best way to call them. They're defensive backs yeah, the slash yeah. um, linebackers. And can you get those guys on the field because the speed – uh, and playmaking is so essential to being able to succeed, but they need to be tough enough to play in the box. There are a lot of people that have looked at the charges and the way the charges were able to put all those safeties on the field um, a couple of seasons ago and have success and tried to create these three safety packages and these other things where Jeremy Chin is a guy that is the perfect alternate safety. He's 
part safety, part linebacker. He's a big nickel player. Uh, he definitely has value, and the combine only only whetted some some other people's appetite in terms of man. What if we get a big playmaker like this? We could really use him in a variety of different roles in our sub packages. No doubt, and Kyle Duggar kind of falls in that same role as well. So I also like up, I had. I'm Duggar glad you brought him. I ended up flipping that. I'm glad you brought Gladney back. Uh, Gladney's an interesting study. He's the boundary corner at TCU, but you talk about the feistiness. Mm-hmm. Love the feistiness. At oh, a time gosh. when we're looking for corners that are tackle and have some physicality, he has that. And, you know, there are these corners, Jalen Johnson and some of these other guys that are kind of in that realm, in that mix. And, you, like, the separating factor, uh, Damon Arnett, the separating factor for me will be, yep. man, I got to have a tough guy that can live out there because teams are kind of cycling back to where they're running the football and you cannot have a liability out there playing the space. Your t- corners have to be willing to engage and get runners to the ground. No doubt. Um, that's I look at kind of that clump of corners that I have at that point in time. I have it um, really kind of sorting out these, these guys. I have uh, Fulton is my 42nd, Gladney, 46. I have Diggs at 47. He's a little different, but then I have Arnett at 50. So really those three guys uh, is Fulton, Gladney, and Arnett, trying to get those three guys, that little clump there, sorted out. And Arnett running a 4-5-6, that concerned me a little bit because I thought I saw a real twitched-up player. Um, it's not a death sentence, 40 time, but it, I would like to see a little bit better, hopefully, this pro day. Yeah, it just slows you down. It slows you down. So the concerns that you have about Arnett – I liked him on tape, man. I just thought he was a very, very solid player. And I think in the second round, that's what I'm shooting for. Uh, you talk about floors and, and ceilings. Second round, I'm more floor guy. I just want to know that he's going to be able to come in and compete, and he's going to give me the production that I want on the edge. So, I look, I thought he was solid. Like, I, I wrote down 22 career passes defense. I thought he was disciplined, had really good feet, balancing body control. I thought his technique was outstanding. Uh, very good eyes and leverage. The speed is a concern. But, uh, look, we, we, we talk about it. Get Gladney, I talked about. The one who I really had a problem with, I had a little bit of a problem with Jalen Johnson in terms of I like the technician, I like the footwork, I liked all that. But DJ, there were times where he didn't engage. And so at the combine, I did find out he had a torn labrum. But I still wonder, I don't know if I can necessarily excuse some of the lack of physicality and effort that I saw on tape. Because, man... It, Playing, playing on the island, either you do or you don't. If you want to get in there and engage, you do. But if you don't, you can find a way to kind of make it where you're uh, unavailable when it comes to tackling. And I don't know if he was available enough. Even with the injury, it, it just worries me a little bit about some of the times that he, he would kind of take a playoff at the very end of the play when I need to kind of throw his body up in there. Mm-hmm. It's funny, man, because I, when I watched him, I, I, have, I wrote down that I liked his toughness. Um, I, I saw, especially in, in more in the passing game, just one and two hand jam. Like I thought he was really yeah, yeah, no, I, I, like I saw that. But the challenge, the challenge with me with him was he just didn't get nobody went at him this year. Yeah, like I, I like all of this stuff in the passing game, and it's just kind of like a little pet peeve. Like there would be a running back coming to him, and the running back is getting tackled maybe three yards from him, and you have a decision where you mm-hmm. can either throw in there and what we call top him off, or you can just let the guy be tackled. Yeah. He doesn't like putting um, sprinkles on top of the Sunday. Like, he just kind of is like, no, I'm okay. I just like vanilla ice cream. Good. Nope. No sprinkles, no Oreo crumbles. Nope. I'm good with it just as is. And I would like to see him kind of mix up and, and just, just throw it in there every now and then. 
See these, are, these, see, these are good discussions that we would have in the draft room because I'm going back through. I have to find my, my, in my notebook here to find where I have them written up. But in what I took from my notes and put in, in the computer here, um, I thought I had them as aggressive versus the run. So in the draft room, when we're having this discussion, it would be, okay, uh, I watch these, you watch those, let's watch those mm -hmm. other games and we'll come back and see how we feel about it. But that's a great example. This is a great example of what goes on inside the draft room. Yeah, no, it is a great example. And it's one of those things where it, it's not, a, it's not a, a big deal, but as we're having the discussion in terms of, hey, we got four guys, how do we want to put them in order? That's the conversation that we would have. Like, oh, no, 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 no. I don't want him first. I don't mind him being in this thing, but let's get the order this way as opposed to that way. And then we try and figure out where we like these guys as, as we stack them because the cluster buster is real. And when we're on the clock and those names are being peeled off the board, you want to feel – good about who could be available for your team at that pick no doubt uh all right man well this has been great stuff uh anything else you want to add before we jump out of here buck no nah, this is great man like the closer we get to it and the more we can kind of narrow the focus to talk about these guys i love it man i love talking about all of the stuff top fives uh clusters top 50s where they stack uh ideal fits like we talked about with uh jordan love and justin herbert all those things really really matter because man scheme fit is everything and you have to know what you want in your team and what plays for your team and what doesn't absolutely well it's been fun man i've enjoyed these conversations uh, remember you can check out all of our videos nfl.com slash mts video or the new uh, youtube channel there youtube.com slash nfl podcast appreciate you guys uh, listening please uh, leave us a review and a rating on apple podcast we appreciate that drop some questions in there as well uh we'll be happy to answer we'll do that again here pretty soon we'll do a question and answer podcast uh, but that's gonna do it he's bucky brooks i'm daniel jeremiah thanks for listening to move the sticks presented by caesar's entertainment Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like when the tailgate party shows up at your house after the big win. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this could sideline your savings. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. What's out there is unknown. So at UC San Diego, out we go. Because to take on the challenges of the here and now, you got to get your feet wet, your eyes open, and your mind out there. Way out there. Turning the unknown into cures, culture, and connections with each step forward. So pack a bag, a notebook, and some sandals and get ready to look far and think further. UC San Diego. Learn more at ucsd.edu. Are you self-conscious about your smile due to stains? Have you ever wished that you had a whiter and brighter smile? 
Smile Actives is a safe and affordable alternative to expensive whitening procedures. You simply add Smile Actives gel to your toothpaste every time you brush your teeth, making it the easiest teeth whitening solution out there. In a clinical trial, Smile Actives users reported up to five shades whiter on average, all within seven days. No change to your routine, no extra time. Right now, they are running a buy one, get one offer. Hurry to smileactives.com slash iHeart today to receive this special offer with free shipping and handling. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.